0: You know, we're in this years-long study of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it, is in, as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray that because he wanted us to be venues of heaven. This earth ought to look a whole lot more like heaven because you're here. And so we're, we're, we're being trained in righteousness. We're being trained in how to make that come about through the power of God. And all this year, we're talking about a theological term called apologetics. Now, apologetics um, is, a, is, is not like it sounds to you. That, that, that word uh, "apology" in theological terms means the rational explanation and defense of our faith. In other words, we want everyone to be able to be able to explain to someone who doesn't understand what Christianity is, to be able to explain that. And to be able to explain it from scripture so that you can both explain and defend your faith. Now watch this, though. We have a special twist because we're a local church and I'm a preacher. I'm not mainly a theologian. We're doing applied apologetics. And that is we not only want you to be able to explain it verbally. We want you to be able to explain it by the way you live. Applied apologetics means that you are explaining your faith by the way you live. People can see your faith by your behavior, your belief by your behavior. And so therefore, where do we start? Well, we start with the Bible. The Bible is our sole authority in matters of faith and conduct, of belief and conduct. And so therefore, by the way, I'm so grateful for those who did the wraparound so I don't have to remember a lot of facts tonight. Uh, And for those of you who really do want to delve further, there are very good books. I'm reading a book right now, Why You Can Have Confidence in the Bible. Uh, um, And and it it, it just gives a very clear explanation about the document of the Bible. Now, why is this necessary? Well, first of all, we have, as I said, this standard by which we measure our lives. If you went to Washington, D.C. right now, you could find a building that housed the National Institute of, of Standards and Technology. You know what's in there? A prototype of all the weights and measurements, an exact prototype of all the weights of measurements. That is, if you had... Uh, theoretically, if you had a meter, a, a stick that was a meter long, you could go to this building, and and uh, and and um, and they have actual physical in existence the exact length of a meter, and, and, and it's made out of uh, um, uh, platinum, ten percent iridium, and if you freeze it. Uh, to uh, take it down to zero degrees and it's at sea level, it will tell you exactly how long a meter is. And you could, you could compare what you have to it and see how what you have measures precisely to what actually is a meter. I tell you that because the word that they use for the assembly of the books in this, in this, in this uh, Bible is called the canon. Canon means uh, standard measurement. This is, this is the standard by which we measure our lives. And therefore, it's a very important document. And therefore, we need to be able to not only know what's in it so that we can compare how we're doing, but we need to be able to tell others what's in it so that they can know what is the true standard of our faith. Now, why Why explain? Somebody once said, you know, for people who believe, no explanation is necessary. For people who don't believe, no explanation is sufficient. Well, I understand that. But let me speak to you, those of you who are parents. You have have children growing up. And there's going to come a day when those children will say to you, in essence, I'm not sure I believe in the Bible. And you'll freak out. Don't freak out. Because they're not saying I'm rejecting God. They're not saying I'm rejecting the Bible. What they're saying is this. And it's a normal growth process. It's a healthy growth process. I can still remember when all three of mine, not at the same time, looked at me and said, Dad, I don't think I believe in the Bible. And, and, I, and, and, and part of me freaked out. But the other part said, this is good. Because what they're really saying is, I can't have your faith. I can only have my faith, and unless I can square this in my mind, then I really can't have a faith that is valuable to me. That is very, very valuable, and you need to be able to say, well, let me tell you why it is at least intellectually credible to believe in the Bible, and you've got to be able to to do that. You have friends who are not just outright rebellious. They're a little bit curious. But they've heard, well, I'm not sure you can believe in this book because it's kind of like playing telephone. You know, somebody started out a book and it was pretty good. Maybe it was even inspired by God. But by the time you pass it through a hundred generations, it's like playing telephone. You start out with one message and you end up with an entirely different message. Well, you've got to be able to disarm that kind of argument, that diffuse that kind of misunderstanding. And we can do that. But you have to know about the Bible in order to do it. And when you remove those impediments, because they wouldn't be asking you, and your kids wouldn't even be saying to you what they're gonna be saying to you unless they wanted to believe. They would just walk away and not say anything. The fact that somebody will say something to you says there's part of me that wants to believe. And, and the Bible says, be always be ready to give an account for the hope that is in you. And that is the good of being able to understand why this book is reliable. First of all, I'm not going to sh- cite a bunch of facts to you tonight. Let me simply say this very simple statement. The Bible is the best preserved, best document, uh, documented book in the world. Of all of, of, of ancient literature, the Bible, we have more manuscripts. We have 7,500 manuscripts or pieces of manuscripts of the Bible. That, that's a, there, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of times more than we have of any other, any other book, any of Aristotle's writings, any of, any of the Iliad or the, the Aeneid or any of those books. And, 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 and one of the ways we know it's reliable is because we have these ancient documents and we can compare them to our modern translations. We have the Dead Sea Scrolls that, 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 that have pieces of the book of Isaiah that go back, uh, and Deuteronomy, go back thousands of years. And we can say, how does that compare with what we have in the Bible? And you know what? Very well. Very well. Obviously, over the years, there are what, what are called copyist errors. Copyist errors are somebody left out a letter or somebody left out a word. Nothing, nothing that would say that a, a central theme or a message is, is contradicted Nothing uh, that would say that there's not uh, integrity in the manuscript as we have received it as a piece of literature. So those of those people who face this and just want to start out from square one. Let's just talk about talk about the integrity of the Bible as literature. How do we know it's true? We have better evidence for the Bible than of any other book. It was the Bible was written. Uh, Largely in in, um, a contemporary generation, those who saw the goings-on were the authors. Um, um, It was written by people who were willing to die in order to stand by what they wrote. Um, And and so what we have is is very well evidenced. But watch this. We also believe, and this is a matter of faith. See, you've got to have both reason and faith in order to have a complete appraisal of, what, of, of, of your standard. And, and for us, there is the faith that the Holy Spirit supernaturally superintended the text from its original form, its original inerrant form, and gave it to us, conducted it to us, so that it would have all of the inspiration of God. Now, having said that, let me ask you to turn in your scriptures to um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy, if you have your scriptures with you, if you don't, as Vernon said, get, get a Bible and bring it, all right? Now, somebody last night told me something, you know, thank you for your feedback. I always appreciate your feedback because something some always blindsides me. And I go, what? Oh, I should have realized that. Somebody came up to me last night after the service and said, I can't read, you know? What do I do? You're, you're the only way I know the Bible. Well, I realize that there are people who have not been, either not been taught to read or who have a severe dyslexia, has, have a learning um, um, uh, disability that will not allow them to read without great struggle and great misunderstanding. For you, I urge you to get the Bible on CD or the Bible on tape so that you can hear the actual words of the Bible. Uh, for those of you who can go online, uh, there is a uh, an audio version uh, of uh, um, what's that site? What did I said this morning. Somebody texted it this morning. Bible Gateway. Thank you, Bible If you go to www.biblegateway.com, there there's an audio, uh, a free audio version of the Bible. But if you don't have access to the internet, you can buy it in CDs or you can buy it in tapes. Please get it so that somebody is reading you the actual Word of God, so that you become familiar with the actual Word of God. For those of you who do have your Bible, read with me, starting with verse, uh, and, and, and as we said, if you don't the book, know where the books are, don't be ashamed. We are, we are living in a biblically illiterate culture. But no one expects you to know, if, if people have to Google John three sixteen. Listen, you're far ahead being in church and bringing your Bible. I mean, you're already here, so it's okay. By the way, in in fact, next week, I'm going to teach you how to interpret the Bible using the table of contents because there are different forms of literature, and I want you to be aware of those so that your interpretation of the Bible can be more accurate. So this is what it says in John 3.16. This is what the Bible claims for itself. All Scripture is inspired by God. In Greek there literally means God breathed. And in, in biblical imagery, you remember what happened when God breathed and God spoke. When God spoke, the world came about. When God breathed into a human being, that human being took on life. So when, when it says God breathed, it means it is not only created by God, it is given life by God. All Scripture is God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, if you have your pens with you, I want you to do something. I'm gonna tell you this often because I wanna burn these categories in your mind. All during this year and in years to come, we're gonna be educating you according to four basic principles. Believe, belong, become, be sent. Because those four principles really cover the intentions of the Bible for our lives. So here's what I want you to do. In the the margin, beside um, um, verse 16 where it says, all scripture is inspired by God. I want you to write the word believe. Believe. So that you can be reminded that this is what shapes your beliefs this is what and, and 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 it's 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 a revelation that god has given in a special fashion to some people so that they can pass it on could i just say this to you uh, let me interrupt myself here as i always do when it is clear what the bible is saying we believe that is what god is saying and therefore we don't have the liberty to revise it, to change it, to make it more relevant, to somehow make it fit into the culture. I, I was, uh, um, um, about a year ago, I was doing a PBS, I was uh, uh, participating in a PBS special, uh, the Jim Lehrer Report, and and he had gathered um, about 20 or 30, I think, different Americans from all walks of life in Williamsburg. And we were sitting in the place uh, where Thomas Jefferson and, and, and the other founding fathers kind of hammered out the original documents. And, 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 and there really was a spectrum of Americans. Well, I got talking to the person next to me was a, um, a lesbian uh, counselor, wonderful person. I mean, I I really really liked this girl, and we were talking about gay marriage, and she was saying, kind of, what's the deal here? You know, I mean, she wasn't being disrespectful. Um, she she was she was just saying, you know, I've been through the whole religious route, and I, you know, I know I know kind of about Christianity because I kind of been there, and and I was a Catholic, and I was an evangelical, and I was I was I was the upright word was. And, and, and so what's the big deal about gay marriage? I mean, why, why can't you just broaden it a little bit to kind of fit, you know? And, and, and in essence, what I said to her, gosh, I wish I could. You know, if it's up to me, you know? But here's the deal. If I believe that God has defined marriage, which I do, I believe he defines it in Genesis I believe that Jesus Christ reiterates it in Matthew 19, the definition of marriage is a man shall leave his father and mother and and cleave to his wife, which is a woman, and the two shall become one. Marriage is between one man and one woman. There's the definition. Now, did a lot of people in the Bible miss the definition? Absolutely. You have examples of, of people who didn't live up to that ideal in the Bible. Yes, there is. But that doesn't erase the ideal. And so what I I need to say to my friend, I hope she's my friend, is crazy about you. You're a wonderful person, but I don't have the liberty to change God's definition of marriage because that's a revealed word of God. And so even if I wanted to, I couldn't redefine marriage. And that's the attitude that all of us need to have about something that is specifically revealed to us by God. Now, as it goes on, it says this, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for training, I'm sorry, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be. I want you to write in the margin there, become. Become. Because this is about transforming our lives. This word will transform our lives. And then the last part of that is, Equipped for every good work. I want you to write beside the, the word good work, be sent. Be sent. And all during, all during these times, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be showing you where it says in the Bible, believe, belong, become, be sent. Now, having said that, let, let me talk about what really makes the Bible reliable in your life. What really makes the Bible reliable in your life. And that is when you turn your belief into behavior. When you look in this book and you start living according to what it says, you will know how true and how real it is. When you build your life precisely on what these words say, I don't know if, how, many, how many of you are around for Hurricane Andrew, or can even remember back then. There was a very severe Hurricane Andrew that came through, I think, the southern part of the state. And, and, and there, was, there was a TV news um, um, feature where it had, it had gone through this, this particular neighborhood, and every house was flattened. Every house, except one. Except one. That house didn't even look like it was touched by the hurricane. Well, of course, the news, as soon as they can, zooms down there. There's this guy standing outside his house. And they interview him. They said, sir, how is it that your house is standing when every other house is flattened? This is what he said. Build it myself. (laughs) The next question is natural. How did you build it? He looked at him and he said, I built it according to Florida state code. He said everything on in that code I did to this house. I took no shortcuts. If it said it in the code, I put it in the house because it said in the code, if I built it like that, it could withstand a hurricane. I did and it did. End of story. Now, I want to tell you something about our lives. You want to withstand the storms of life? Build it according to code. It's very clear in here. Jesus even says, you know, there are storms that are going to come. You got to build your house on the rock. You can't build it according to say. You can't take shortcuts here and expect to withstand the storms of life. And when we do that, we will know truly how to interpret the word of God. Truly that it is true, truly that it is reliable. It is not, it is not just for, for looking at. You know, it's funny, everybody reveres the Bible, don't they? I mean, everybody goes, that is such a holy book called the Holy Bible. And everybody's got one. As a matter of fact, if you tried to take somebody's Bible away, they'd probably shoot you. I mean, we're fiercely, we are fiercely, we reverence the Bible. You ask anybody, do you revere the Bible? Yes. But you ask them, do you read the Bible? Well, uh, let me give you a little formula here. Reverence without reading equals roaming. You will be tossed about by every wind of doctrine. Do you know in this culture, we are ready to believe so many heresies, so many falsehoods. Why? Because we don't know the Bible. Because we don't know the Bible. You remember the movie Da Vinci Code? You remember the book, Dan Brown, Da Vinci Code? Oh my goodness, what an example. You know more copies, twice as many copies were sold to the Da Vinci Code as purpose-driven church. And, and, and you can tell it, you can tell it by the, the, the appetite for which people exhibit of conspiracy theories. The Da Vinci Code supposedly postulated that there was a hidden gospel, the gospel of Judas. Now let me say, as I go into this, there are lots of false gospels, lots of gospels that didn't get included in this. They were called Gnostic Gospels. Gnostic Gospels. And and so whenever you see something on TV, the Gospel that you never knew about, what they're talking about is one of these Gnostic Gospels. Now, if you know anything about Scripture, you'll know why it didn't get included. These things are so easy to discredit. The Gospel of, of, of Judas... Um, if, I, if I'm getting the right Gnostic gospel here, and I think I am, was created in 400 A.D. When did Judas live? Oh, that'd be first century. He must have been really old when he wrote that book. It was written in the Coptic language. Judas spoke Aramaic. We have no record that he even knew the Coptic language. And if nothing else, All of its themes went directly, or most of its themes, many of its themes, went directly against the biblical gospel themes. The theme that everybody's fascinated with, Jesus got married to Mary. What? Seriously? You seriously believe that? There are people who do believe that Jesus and Mary Magdalene got married and they had children. And there are people who believe that there are still children of Jesus, descendants of Jesus' children, walking around on the face of the earth. Come on, seriously! If you know the Word, you won't be tossed about by every wind of darkness. Listen, turn to me. If uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four, if you if you if you will please, Ephesians chapter four. Uh, and again, look in the, in the table of contents. But I want to show you this. In Ephesians chapter 4, this is what it says. Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 11. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service. Again, you can write in the margin, be sent. It's a continuing theme. It says, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith you can build right, in, right in, the, in the margin, belong till we all attain to the unity of faith to the knowledge and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Become. That is what this word will help us Become. As a result, this is what it says. We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. Right in the margin there, believe. When the Bible talks about accurate doctrine, it talks about believing. How do we believe? We read what's really in the Bible. Everybody knows the best way to spot a counterfeit is to look at the real thing. It's not to study the counterfeit, it's to study the real thing. And there's only one way to study. It's not to, not to look on the outside, it's to look on the inside. I remember Louise Day who said she was, she was teaching the kids one time and, and uh, she was teaching them um, about when Jesus came to visit Mary and Martha. And remember that, that uh, episode where Martha's running around and Mary's just kind of looking at Jesus and, and Martha's getting all honked off at her sister and so on and so forth. Well, she's she teaching these small kids and, and, she, and she looks at them and she says, now, what would you do if, you, if Jesus were going to come to your house today? This little girl put up her and said, I'd put a Bible out on the table. Well, that, that's nice. That's nice. But that's not impressive to Jesus. What's impressive and what is transforming is for us to actually read it. And what you will find when you do is that it is very personal and it answers the needs that you had, that you that you, many of you, you're praying to God and say, oh God, give me this. It's in here. It really is in here. You know, years ago, in one of the Super Bowls, the Super Bowls have absolutely the best commu- uh, commercials. They really do. They, they cost like a, a million dollars a minute or something. I mean, it's just an incredible how much they cost. But Super Bowl Thirty-Seven, there was a there was a spoof on the Tom Hanks movie um, Castaway. You, did, you, did you you ever see that movie? Tom Hanks is a Federal Express, I think. Um, um, Deliver a delivery driver, and, and somehow, I can't remember, he gets uh, stranded on a desert island. It's all about his survival on a desert island. But a sub-theme is he's got this package he's supposed to deliver. And in order to remember his identity, as, a, as a, he keeps that passage, package. He wants to deliver that package. That's his job. So all through that time, he keeps the passage, and at the end of the movie, if I remember correctly, he delivers a package, which is really kind of a cool thing. Well, they have this spoof. Where this guy is, you know, obviously as Tom Hanks in this movie, after, after he gets off the island and he comes to this house, you know, and, and he delivers this package to this woman. So he says, I'm so sorry it's delayed. I've been stranded on a desert island. And, and she said, well, thank you. Thank you for the package. Then he pauses for a minute. <laughs> and he says, just out of curiosity, what's in the package? And she opens up the package and she looks and she goes, Oh, not much. A satellite phone, a GPS de- de- positioning device, a water purifier, and some seeds. In other words, he was carrying all along exactly what he needed to survive. This is your package. This is your, this, don't guard it. Look inside it. This is what you need for your life. That's why God has given it to us. Open the thing up and read it. And now, one more thing. I, I keep kind of dancing around this, but it's, it's not just reading, it's actually being doers of the word. This is the Bible, what the Bible says. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Jesus said, there's one way you will know whether or not this is from God for you. There's one way you will know for sure that you can have confidence in the Bible. One way you will know whether or not this is reliable. You know what it is? If you're willing to do what it says. Jesus says in John chapter 7, verse 17, if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God. Very, very simple. So this is what we've got to understand. We don't read this book for knowledge. We don't read this book to puff ourselves up or to know more about religion than somebody else. How, how many of you have ever known somebody who, who said, you know, I knew, I knew this one guy, knew the Bible backwards and forwards, you know, but lived like hell, just lived like a reprobate, just didn't, wasn't even a believer. Well, first of all, I question that. I, I question that. But second of all, because I, I'm wondering how could you, but second of all, it, 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 just knowing what's in the Bible, Leonard Sweet used to have this story about the Prince of Granada, who was confined by his uncle to this prison. His uncle was the King of Spain. And, and, and the Prince of Granada wanted to, wanted to uh, do a coup d'etat and, and, and the King found out about it, put him in prison. <clears throat> and everybody knew when you went in this prison, you didn't get out, you just died in that prison. The only book they gave him was the Bible. Now watch this. No one can know how many times he read that book. But after he died, and he did die in prison, they found these little scratchings on the wall of his cell. He had found a nail, apparently, and scratched little things on the cell. You know what he scratched? Psalm 118, verse 8, is the center point verse of the Bible. Ezra chapter Seven, verse six has every letter of the alphabet except for the letter j, and all of this Bible trivia he'd spent there was no record that he understood that because Christ died for his sin he could have eternal life. There was no record there was no evidence that he took the evidence and, and, and the and the 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 great gift of the Bible that he could be set free by the truth, no matter where he was, that he could have all of the power and hope and love of heaven walking around in his life. No evidence that he availed himself of that. He just focused on the trivia. We don't want that. There's power in this book. And it doesn't matter if you understand it. I I I know people say, well, I tried reading the Bible once and I didn't get it. (laughs) Well, you know what? Let Let me suggest something. We're going to help you do that. Stick with the program here. Get in the Belong series, you know, and we'll we'll, we'll help you do that. But if you just starting tomorrow, want to start a Bible study, start with the Gospel of John. And you will understand some of it. God doesn't depend on what you don't understand. God can even work through what you don't understand to still perform his purpose in your life. To still give you the life that is in this word. And it does transform your life. So l- l- let me get to the, to the last part. This is what we're going to do now. We're going to just hear. We're just going to hear some of the words because, because the words are for you. This isn't about God. This is God speaking to you. The Bible is a love story and it's about your personal relationship with God. So when you're reading through this, you will get knowledge. But here's what I want you to say every time you read the Bible. Before you even start, this is what I want you to say. I want you to say out loud, God, what do you have to say to me today? What do you want to communicate to me through this word today? And as you read, He will tell you what he wants you to understand, but he will also tell you how much he loves you and he will come close to you. Pray with me. Lord, thank you that you have given this book to us so powerfully and so wonderfully that it will give us your life. We can be partakers of the divine nature through this word, but we can also, Feel your closeness and walk with you as you transform our lives in ways we could never live up to the standards that you have for us. So give us, Lord God, the constant reminder and the commitment to read the Bible, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.